guys can go ahead and grab a seat. If you're new, welcome. So glad you're here. My name is Byron. I get the great privilege and honor to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. If you are a guest, there has never been a better time for you to come and learn what redemption's all about, to get involved and to get plugged in because God is doing some amazing things here at Redemption. And you wonder what kind of amazing things. That is a great question. I am so glad you asked. I will tell you. If you don't know, we just bought a brand new building and we are going to begin working on renovating this space. 600 seat sanctuary for all of our friends. Who, who would look around the room right now and be like, I think we need a bigger church. Anybody else? Anybody else, right? Um, hey, you could come to the 830 or the 1130 if you don't like um, other people touching your elbows. But the 10 o'clock, I love it. God's doing some amazing things. We bought an entire city block. This entire room is all going to be dedicated towards children's ministry on Sunday mornings, redemption, youth on Wednesday nights. We're going to give it all to them as we begin to move over into our new sanctuary. But that's not all. There's more, much more, because we've also been given for free a new building in Port Natchez, Texas. And so redemption mid-county will be coming soon. Come on, somebody. Isn't that amazing? We have a dream as a church to be able to start a special needs ministry for families who are unable to be able to come to church um, due to their unique family situation. And then above all of that, as a church, we have pledged $160,000 over the next two years towards local and global outreach and mission initiatives. It's really important for us because the very first check that me and Ashley ever cut on behalf of Redemption Church was to a missionary. As it comes in, we believe by God's grace, it also goes back out. And so I'm really excited about what God is doing. And so in order to help you guys get as excited about what God is doing as I'm excited about what God is doing, are you guys excited about what God is doing? It's amazing. But I want to help encourage and increase that excitement. And so we're doing a sermon series through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 that we're calling Multiply. It's about multiplying what God is doing here with the message of life change through Jesus, not just what God is doing in this room, but what God is doing in this area. And it's not just about Beaumont, but it's about beyond. It's not about building a building, but rather it is about building the kingdom of God. And so we're learning from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 9, which is the largest theological treatise on the subject of generosity and giving in the entire Bible. We're in a capital campaign where we're trying to raise the funds to be able to accomplish the vision that God has given us. And there's some people that say, well, is it biblical for a church to take offerings and to raise up money to support specific causes? And the answer is, yes, it is biblical. It's in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 8 9. I'm so glad that as a pastor, I don't have to come up with this in myself, but God's word has given us everything we need in order to be successful in the calling that he has for us. Another way we could say it is this, where God guides, God provides, and where there is vision, God will supply the provision, amen? And so we find that here in the Bible. 
And in order to be able to help you get everything you can out of this series, we've actually created some resources for you. And so if you brought your generosity guidebook, let me go ahead, hold it up. Everybody, did you bring your guidebook? My man right there got his guidebook. Okay, if you did not bring your guidebook, I told you last week that I was gonna shame you, all right? So shame on you, right? Okay, if you did not bring it, it either means one, you are new. So welcome, slip your hand up if you did not bring it because I wanna be able to provide this resource. Just raise your hand or ushers are gonna go by and they're gonna pass one out for you if everybody has one. Open up with me to your guidebook on page 14. There's a lot of different resources that you're gonna find in this guidebook, a frequently asked question. You'll find pictures of our new building. You'll find the, the plan and the budget and where all of the resources are gonna be allocated over to. But what's really important for us is in our small groups and on Tuesday nights here at Big Group, we are actually praying through a weekly devotional. Every single day, there is a devotional and there's a journal question to be able to help you make this commitment that God is leading us towards. And there's a question attached to it. And this week's question is what we're gonna be talking about as a church. And I want you to look down at, ver at page 14 and here's what it says. Am I being a good steward of the resources that God has trusted me with? Anybody else convicted just over that question? Okay, me too. That's why we're gonna talk about it today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 18. We're gonna start. And the sermon title today is this, The Bible's Guide to Financial Success. Okay, this ain't Byron's guide to financial success. You do not want Byron's guide. No, you do not want my guide. And this ain't Dave Ramsey's guide either. Although Dave Ramsey is great, but we need more than good advice. We need God's word when it comes to being financially successful. I love what Paul's been saying in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, this is a benefit for you. We say this for you. This is for you. And as a church, here's what I want you to know. We don't want anything from you. We want something for you. We want for you to be able to be financially successful in a way that is biblically faithful. We want for you to be able to say what the Macedonian said, that they gave beyond their means out of the joy that God has given to them. We want for you to be able to experience the blessings of God and the benefits of God and the favor of God on your life. We want for you to participate in a meaningful and significant way about the multiplication of the gospel from Beaumont. We want for you to have your fingerprints on what God is doing here at the church. We want for you to have the blessings of God upon your life. We don't want something from you. We want something for you, which is why today we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna talk about the Bible's guide to financial success. How many of you want to be financially successful? Raise your hand, look around the room. Okay, everybody I think would say, nobody's like, no, I don't wanna be financially successful. No, I think everybody in the room would, would like to be financially successful. Well, the question is, how much money does it take for you to be fin financially successful? Everybody would say just a little bit more. Okay, the person who makes 30,000 thinks the person making 80,000 is rich. The person who makes 80,000 thinks the person making 100,000 is rich. The person making 100,000 thinks the next person. See, nobody ever thinks they have enough. Everybody's always judging where they're at based upon where somebody else is. Nobody ever thinks that they actually have enough. And so when it comes to determining whether or not one is financially successful, most people say, if I just got a little bit more, well, how much more would, would make you satisfied? Maybe if you made $30 an hour, 
Okay, what if you made $50? What if you made 100,000 a year? What if you, what if you had a million dollars? No, that doesn't go very far these days. What if you had $2 million? $2 million, Cole, would you think that would be financially successful? Well, I got some bad news for you because the average American during the course of their lifetime will earn $2.7 million. So you have more than $2 million coming to you. We live in the richest, most successful and prosperous nation ever in the history of the world. And yet at the same time, 63% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And if all four tires in their car went out this week, they could not afford to get them replaced. You know what that goes to show me? We do not have an income problem. We have a stewardship problem that we are not managing the finances and the resources that God has trusted us with in a way that is glorifying to him and beneficial to us. And this is why we need to study this subject of stewardship in the church. And here's why, because we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even know, amen? Anybody ever find yourself in that situation? And when it comes to the subject of multiply and the new building and missions, people have the want to give, but they're unable to give. And it's not only because they can't afford to, it's because they haven't stewarded their finances a proper, a properly so they can't do that. And here's what we need to know is that God doesn't only bless what you give, he also blesses what you keep that God is not only concerned about your giving, he's also equally concerned about your spending, about your investing, about your saving, and about your stewarding. God does not only bless us based on what we give, but also based upon what we keep. This is why the subject of stewardship is so essential to our discipleship. Do you know that one out of seven verses in the book of Luke deal about finances and resources? Over 25% of the parables Jesus taught uses the subject of stewardship as the main example of what the kingdom of God is like. People say, Byron, why does the church talk about money? Two reasons. One, we talk about money because the Bible talks about money. Over 3,000 verses in the Bible deal with the subject of finances. And then people say, well, shouldn't we just teach like Jesus taught? Great, we should. 25% of Jesus' sermons dealt over the subject of finances. And so we're spending five weeks this year talking about money. But if you want me to preach like Jesus, one out of four sermons will be talking about money. See, the Bible talks about a lot, not because it's the most important thing to God, but for some reason, it tends to be the most important thing to us. That's why people get so emotional talking about money because Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. There is a wallet to heart connection. You know how I know that? Because every time my wife buys something on Amazon, oh, my heart hurts, right? Because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. But God is not only concerned about what we give, he is equally concerned about what we keep. It's like two pedals on a bicycle. It's the pedal of generosity and it's the pedal of stewardship. You need both of them moving in the same direction if you want to experience God's blessings on your life. There are some people who they give and they tithe and they're still in situations where they are struggling and it's not because God isn't blessing them, it's because they are not being obedient in their stewardship with the resources he's trusted them with. And there's others who are good stewards, but they are not generous. Therefore, they are not allowing the blessings of God to be able to come into their life. You need both moving in the same direction if you want to experience God's blessings. 
Oftentimes in churches, you mostly just hear the sermon, give and tithe and God will open up the heavens and he will bless you, which all of that is true. But one thing that churches do not teach appropriately is not just the subject of generosity, but the subject of stewardship. They'll tell you God will bless what you give, but they forget to tell you that God also blesses what you keep. And Paul's gonna talk about that here in this section. Why? Because we need to learn how to be financially successful. And it's so much more than just what you give, but it's how you spend, it's how you save, it's how you invest, which is why good stewardship is essential for Christians to understand. And so what Paul's gonna do here, in the middle of 2 Corinthians chapters eight and nine, teaching on generosity, he is gonna take a step back and he's gonna teach on stewardship because you need both to experience God's blessings. And he's gonna give us four statements on the subject of stewardship, four ways in which we can begin to understand, wrap our heads around, not only what we give, but also what we keep. And here's the first thing he says, the subject of stewardship starts in the heart. Look what he says right here. He says, but thanks be to God. Do you know who we should thank for being good stewards? God. Do you know who we should thank for sermons and messages over finances? God. Do you know who we should be grateful when it comes to the resources and income? God. Who gets the thanks? People are like, oh man, I'm so grumpy and I can't believe they talk about it. Listen, next week we're gonna see that God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grump too, amen? <laughs> thanks be to God. You know, you need this message. You need this sermon. It may not be the one you wanted, but it's the one God knew that you needed because many of us, we, we struggle when it comes to the subject of, of finances. And so he's gonna say, stewardship starts not in your wallet, it starts in your heart. Look what he says. Thanks be to God who put this in the, what's the word? The heart of Titus in the same earnest care that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's excited. He's, 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 he's anticipating about what God is doing. He's earnest to come to your own accord. Now, here's what we need to understand is that stewardship first begins in the heart. Before I dive in, I need to explain what a steward is. Because some people are like, who's Stuart? And why do we keep talking about it? Is that a book of the Bible? Like, is he one of the disciples? Who's Stuart, right? No, steward's not a word that we use very often in our culture today, but here's what a steward is. It is a person who manages somebody else's resources. So think about it like, like a banker or a stockbroker. Like you give them money, but it's not their money, is it? No, what's their job? To invest it to be able to get you a return on it. They're managing your money. Or maybe for those of you who are in college, like you have a, a person in the church or maybe a friend, they let you house it. You get to go stay at their nice house and you get to eat their food and you, you take their dog out for a walk and you're like, I'm just so glad I'm not staying with my five roommates eating Top Ramen, right? Is that your house? No, it's their house. What are you doing? You're watching it. You're managing it. You are stewarding over it. Every summer, we have a friend of the church. They let me and my family go stay at their beach cabin. It's so nice, but you know what? I don't own it. And so I'm there to take care of it. I can enjoy it, but eventually I gotta give them back the key. That's what a steward is. And when it comes to the subject of stewardship, here's what Paul wants you to know, is that when the finances are in your bank account, they don't actually belong to you. They ultimately belong to God. That everything we have is a gift from God and he is trusting us to manage it and steward it well. Here's what you need to know, is that God is the owner and we are the managers. 
God owns everything and everything belongs to him. So your house is actually God's house. Your car is actually God's car. Even your kids are actually God's kids. He is trusting you to raise them up so that way you might present them to him and they can live godly and holy lives. Everything we own is a gift that comes from God. And here's what a steward understands. Write this down. It's so important. Everything I own is on loan. Everything you own is a loan from God and we are to manage it wisely while we are here on earth. So your house is God's house. Say this, thank you God for letting me live in your house. Next time you get in your car, you open up the door, say, thank you, God, for letting me drive your car. When you go out to eat after church and you go to that restaurant and you eat that enchilada, you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for letting me eat your enchiladas. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Pass the salsa, right? Everything we own is on loan from God. Now, some of you, you're like, but that's not true. My name is on the account. I earned it. I deserved it. I worked hard for it. Okay, the Bible would say, you're wrong. You're like, I don't agree with you. Well, then you don't agree with the Bible. Let me give you some Bible verses. Hear what the Bible says. Psalm 24, one, the earth is whose? It's not yours. The earth belongs to the Lord. And how much of it? All of it, everything that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. You belong to the Lord if you belong to Christ Jesus. Romans chapter two, four off the top of my head says that you were called to belong to Christ Jesus. That when you gave your life to Jesus, it is no longer yours. This is why God says to die to ourselves and to pick up our cross and follow after him. You do not belong to you and nothing you own belongs to you either. It all ultimately belongs to him. Hebrews 3, 4, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. You thought you had a contractor? Nope. God in heaven is the one who built that house. Everything comes from him. Haggai, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Today, America used to operate on something known as the gold standard, that everything was backed by gold. Not anymore. They just print money like it's monopoly. They'll just be inventing money that we don't have. See, if you want good stewardship advice, don't look to the government. Like, they're $57 trillion in debt, okay? Okay, don't look to the government, look to God. This is why every time they come to take taxes, they try to take God, the money before God gives it, right? Like they tax your money before you can even tithe your money. Why? Because that's the way the government thinks. The steward thinks differently, that the silver is mine, says the Lord. The gold is mine, says the Lord. This would today be the Bitcoin is mine. The, the, the stocks are mine. Your credit card is mine. Everything in your bank account is mine, thus saith the Lord. Uh, another verse here is this. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle upon a thousand hills. In Deuteronomy 8, 18, says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to be able to earn wealth. And so you think, well, I earned it. No, God gave you the ability to earn it. God gave you the power to be able to make wealth. God gave you the mind. God gave you the strength. God gave you the intellect. God gave you the breath in your lungs. God gave you the opportunity for the job that you have. Everything we have is on loan from God. Nothing belongs to us. And you know how I know this? Because when you die, you leave it all behind. You came into this world with nothing and you will leave this world with nothing. There are no U-Hauls on the back of a hearse. You can't take it with you. They asked J.D. Rockefeller, the richest man who's ever lived, they asked his accountant after he died, how much money did Rockefeller leave behind? You know what they said? All of it. You know why? Because it doesn't belong to you. It's all a gift from him. Everything we own is on loan from God.
And when you get this attitude in your heart, when you develop a mindset of a steward, here's what it does. It liberates you. It takes the burden and the, the stress and the anxiety off of you because it doesn't belong to you. It's not up to you. It's ultimately all belongs to him. And the steward understands, I don't have to be stressed. I can be blessed because I am blessed to be a blessing. And God is gracious and good and generous to me. And therefore I will be good and generous towards others and I get to manage God's resources while I'm here on earth. It's amazing what happens when you have the heart of a steward because it's not yours. It moves you from stressed to blessed. I'll tell you a story because this is easier said than done. I'm still learning this process even after following Jesus for almost 20 years. So every year we do what's called a heart for the house where it's a one-time special above and beyond offering and I was praying and me and Ashley, we had our heart for the house money that we were gonna bring on Sunday and we went and got cash out. I know we could give online, but we wanted to give it in cash so that way we could feel the sacrifice behind it. And so I'm carrying this cash in my pocket over the weekend and I start negotiating with God about how much I was gonna give. Anybody ever do that? Okay, I was no negotiating with God. I said, well, I made this commitment and, 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 and so then I started saying, well, you know, it's right before Christmas and I, I need to be a good steward of my money. So, you know, I should probably get the girls this and I'm gonna go pick this up. And, oh, there's this cool thing. I'm gonna get Ashley for Christmas. And, you know, I, I do need to pay my bills. I need to put my family first and I need to take care of all my priorities. And so God, I'm pretty sure you understand. So I actually worked God down 50% of what I pledged that I would give. And so I'm driving to CVS on that, that Saturday morning and I open up the door and I look down and I see a $20 bill on the ground. I'm like, hey, God sure is good today. And I bend down to pick up that 20 and the Lord speaks to my heart. He says, that's mine too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, and so the next week I came in and not only did I give what God told me to give, I also gave above and beyond an extra 20 bucks. You know why? Because it all belongs to him anyway. This is the mindset that a, a steward has. Why? Stewardship starts in the hearts. The next thing he says is stewardship for us requires leadership. He goes on, he mentions two men, Titus and then another guy. And here's what he says here. With him, Titus, we're sitting the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. I want you to see something. Is that Paul never mentions the word money one time in 2 Corinthians 8 and nine, but 10 times he uses the word grace. You know why? Because giving is a gift and it is a grace upon our lives by God. That we are saved by grace, therefore we give by grace. It is grace, it is a privilege and a blessing and an honor to be able to give generously. So they're giving generously that is ministered to us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. Paul here, he, he says, when it comes to stewarding finances, God trusts leaders to be able to organize and manage the funds properly. The principle is still applicable for us today because God is looking for leaders who will steward well. Now in Corinthians, who's the stewards? Titus and this other guy. In your life, who is the stewards that God is trusting? You are. God is trusting you to steward your finances in the same way that God trusted Titus to steward their finances. You are the leader of the finances in your life. Okay, and here's what you need to understand 
is that everything rises and falls upon leadership. And if you don't lead your money, your money will get up and run away. Anybody ever notice that in their lives? Like you ever get paid on Friday and you're like, I'm rich. And then on Monday, you're like, I'm poor. Where did it go? It's because you weren't leading your money. Jesus says it like this. No man can serve two masters. He'll love one or hate the other. He will either love God or love money. You want to know that? Money is a master. And if you don't master your money, your money will master you. If you don't control your money, your money will begin to control you. I've never met anyone who accidentally became wealthy. I've never met anybody who accidentally moved into another tax bracket. I've never met anyone who accidentally had a little money left over at the end of the month. No, it always takes focus, determination, intentionality. It requires leadership. And here's what you need to understand is that you can either tell your money where to go or you'll be wondering where your money went. Anybody ever wonder where their money went? You look in your wallet like, I know I had something in here. Where did it go, right? You check your bank account and you're like, oh my goodness, where did it all go? You know where it went? It went where it went because you never told it where to go. If you don't tell your money to go, you will always be wondering where your money went. I was reading this week during sermon prep and I came across this article that said the average American wastes $18,000 a year. $18,000. I mean, if you go to Starbucks three times a week, that's almost $2,000 a year on burnt coffee. We, we, we canceled cable TV. We thought we're saving money. And now you have so many subscription services, you don't even know which one you use. And $150 a month, $3,000 over the course of the year, you're spending more money on subscriptions than you ever did on cable service. I mean, how many of you, whenever you take your kids to the store and they, they have that line right there at the checkout register with all the candy and all the plush toys and all the junk that you end up throwing away anyway and your kids throw a fit and they're like little terrorists and they win every single time and they're like, daddy, you don't love me if you don't give me this push pop. And you're like, oh my God, please shut up. I'll give you whatever you want. And then you buy it, right? Because marketers think more about your money than you do. Marketing and advertising they will think more strategically about your money than you actually think about your money. And so they get it from me every time. You know why? Because you do not have a way to tell your money where to go. That's why every month you're wondering where your money always went. Anybody convicted yet? Okay, let me, let me, some of you, you're like, this isn't spiritual enough for me. Okay, well, let me give you a very big theological word. Every single week, I try to give you a theological word so that way you, you get your money's worth when you come to redemption and it's free. So um, you can impress your friends. Here's, here's a big, last week, the word was uh, uh, sanctification. Oh, big word, right? Process of becoming like Jesus, but you know that. Here's the big theological word for you this week. You ready? It starts with a B and it ends with an Budget. Budget. Budget, budget. You say, Byron, that's not theological enough for me. Okay, listen. Jesus says no one builds a house unless he what? Counts the cost. You know what Jesus is saying? Make a budget. The book of Proverbs, all about being wise with your money. Wealthiest man in the world lived on a budget. Paul says here that we manage the resources that God has trusted to us with for the glory of God and for the goodwill of others. You know what that means? If you wanna manage God's resources, you need to get on a budget. So I wanna help. I wanna help you guys. And so what I wanna do is, first of all, if you don't have a budget, we actually have copies of a budget 
in the lobby. You can pick one up on your way out or email multiply at redemption TX. We will send you a free um, Excel spreadsheet where you can go home and do it. Me and Ashley, we use the Every Dollar app by Dave Ramsey. Get on a budget so you're not wondering where your money went. But I wanna help you. If I were to start over from day one and I was to create a budget, here's the way that I would do it. I would start off by giving God first, not last, because if you give to God last, just turns out there's nothing left over, right? So it's not about the percentage, but it's about the priority. We wanna put God first in everything that we do. So we put God first, I would say tithe 10%, because you can live off of 90% with God more than you can live on 100% without God. So I'll put God first in your, in your tithe. Number two, I would put 10,000 or 10% rather in savings every single month. Pay God, pay yourself. Number three, don't buy a house or rent an apartment that's more than 25% of your annual income. 25% goes into your housing, 50% living. You say, I can't live off of 50% of them. Then here's what you do. You either get a second job or you cut your budget because you can't, you, 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 you have to act your wage. You can't try to act like you're a millionaire if you actually want to be one. And so you need to set your budget in a way that you're living with wisdom. And then we have 5% fun. See, God doesn't care if you have fun. He actually likes it. So God's like, hey, order your house in this way and then take your kids to Slitterbond, go get a nice date night, steak night and have a little bit of fun with yourself. But the problem becomes when we put fun above God and we spend money we don't have and there's nothing left over at the end of the month and you have nothing left over at the end of your lifetime. The Bible says that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And you gotta stop thinking, you know, day to day, month to month. And you gotta start thinking year after year about how you're managing the resources that God has trusted us with. And you know what? God says there is leadership that is involved when it comes to managing your finances. So when we have nothing left over at the end of the month, we come down to the altars and we pray or we write on our prayer cards. We ask that God would bless us and God would give us financial provision and that God would give us a breakthrough and God wants to do those things. But listen to me, God cannot do those things. You know why? Because God cannot promote bad leadership. He can't do it. God cannot bless disobedience and God cannot pour out his favor on poor leadership. You have to take ownership of the finances that God has trusted you with. Now, I know nobody in this room is a bad leader. You know why? Because you're here right now. Bad leaders will be out doing something else. And so you want to grow in your leadership. You want to grow in your stewardship. That's why you're here during a financial series. Everybody else, they're not here. You know what they're doing? They're staying home watching some other sermon online. But you're like, you know what? I know my church is in a five-week generosity initiative and I'm gonna make a commitment to be here. Why? Because you love God, you love your church and you wanna make sure that you're stewarding well. And so you're here. You know what that shows me? Give yourself a round of applause. You're a good leader. You're a good leader. You're a good leader and you're getting better. Every single Sunday, you're getting better. And so here's what I want to encourage you with is that we can't just sit there and blame God for our financial problems. We have to take responsibility on our own. Listen, multiply is not about money. People say, oh, multiply is about money. Listen, multiply is not about money. Our, our secondary goal is three million in generosity. 
But that's our secondary goal. What is our primary goal? 100% engagement. Everybody who calls redemption home, being intentional and sacrificial when it comes to putting God first in their finances. Multiply is not about money. Multiply is about mission. It's about living our lives like the Macedonians did in 2 Corinthians chapter five, that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. It's about the joy of generosity. It's not about a building. It's about building the kingdom. It's about multiplying the message and the mission of God from Beaumont and beyond. And when we all grasp this idea of stewardship, it is going to propel the gospel forward all across this world. It's not about money, but rather it is about mission. And if somebody came to me and they said, Byron, I'll give you $3 million to close out and renovate this building right now. You know what I would say? You can fill out the check and drop it in the box, but we're still going to do multiply. Because if I don't teach people, then I will be a bad leader. If I don't teach people how to manage their money God's way, I will be a bad pastor. And not only will they be accountable before God about how they manage their resources, I will be held accountable by God about how I preach the Bible. And I cannot overlook a subject just because it makes a few people uncomfortable. Because if I do, then I'm robbing those in the pews who need to learn to trust God when it comes to their resources. And so you can fill out that check and you can drop it in the box. Be glad you did. Hallelujah. But we're still going to preach multiply because our church needs to hear this. Number three, it, it demands accountability. He says this, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. Now to the person who said, hey, this is not spiritual enough for me. Let me focus on this word, administered. You know what that means? Adding ministry. Budgeting is biblical because it increases the ministry that we're able to accomplish. Add ministered, it's an addition to the ministry. This gift that is being administered is for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. And with them, we are sending our brother whom often has been tested and found in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of the great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner, fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. You wonder, why should I give to the local church? You know, Paul says here, the local church is the glory of Christ. So why should you give to the local church? Because it is the glory of Christ. It is the body of Christ. It is the plan A of Christ. Who's Jesus coming back for? The church, not for UNICEF, not for PETA, not for some other nonprofit organization, not for Air One. Who's he coming back for? The church. Who's the glory of Christ? The church. So why should we give to the church? Because the local church is the glory of Christ. And when it comes to giving to the church, he says that there needs to be financial accountability. Now, let me take the burden off of you for just a moment. I can just feel the conviction in the room. So let me take the burden off of you and I'm gonna place it back on me. I'm gonna talk like Paul talks here about what is the stewardship processes that the leaders of the church live by? Because that's what he's talking about here. Accountability, everything rises and falls on leadership. We talked about your leadership, but what about my leadership? How does the church manage the funds and the resources that God trusts them with as well? Here's what we say as a staff. We say, hey, we lead from the front because we can't ask people to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. The church leaders lead from the front. You know, y'all are in small groups. It is a requirement for anyone in a position of leadership to be in a small group, to be on a serve team and to tithe 10% to be a leader of this church. You know why? Because if I'm gonna teach it, I have to hold our leadership team accountable too. 
I can't expect a leader to do something that we are not willing to do collectively as a church together. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So tonight, the leaders of your church, about 50 of us, we're all gonna meet here tonight for a night of worship and prayer and our leaders are going first by making their financial commitment before the rest of the church does. Why? Because we lead from the front. Paul's talking here about the leaders of the church being the ones who administer the gifts. He talks about good stewardship within leadership. So let me explain to you the, the process behind your giving here at Redemption. I had a person early in our church, they said, the reason I don't give to Redemption is because you and Ashley just collect all the money. And I was like, I wish we did. Um, he literally thought that every dollar given was a, went right back into our personal bank account. And I was like, maybe if I wanna plant a church in prison, um, doing prison ministry from the inside, Styles Unit, look out, Redemption Church, coming soon. But there's some reasons that people don't feel comfortable giving to a church. Maybe they haven't learned to trust God. Maybe they don't believe that God will bless and reward them. Maybe they don't believe in God. But another reason that some people don't give is because they've yet determined, is this where I'm gonna lay down roots? So it takes a little while before they trust the church. And then the other reason that some people feel hesitant on giving is they're wondering, well, if I'm stewarding my money well, how's the church stewarding the money that I give them? And so they wanna, they wanna know. And I wanna say what Paul says here. Paul's giving us this principle that, that, that transparency is the currency of trust. That the more transparent we become around our finances, the more trust increases to those who give of their finances. Paul's being very transparent about how the process is taking place. So I wanna take a moment and explain how the process of stewarding your money happens here at Redemption. So we have three boards of Redemption Church. I am not the boss. I have three pastors above me who hold me accountable. I'm accountable to somebody else. And these three pastors, they, they lead other churches. They set my salary and they set the budget and the salary of all staff members based upon a national average of churches about our size. So I don't make my salary or the, the, the board oversees all of that financially. And then we're a staff-led church and we have elders that we're raising up right now who are helping with the direction and the vision of the church. And we have trustees that are overseeing and helping with the finances of the church. These godly men and women who are a part of the local church here at Redemption Church. So we have these three boards and they help guide, but we are a staff-led church. And so our directors, they oversee the day-to-day -day operations of ministry. And whenever you give here at Redemption in cash, we don't touch the money. In fact, we have a trustee who after service, he'll take the funds given, he'll put them in our safety deposit box in our safe. And then on Mondays, him and another team member will show up, they'll count the money, double check it. And then they immediately bring it to the bank where it gets deposited. No one from the staff or team ever touches or sees any of the finances. Beyond that, we have an HR accountant who actually oversees the books. And every month we support, send suspense reports. And then they send us back our budget to make sure we're online. We send that out to our board. They double check it. And then it gets documented and put in because we want to be above reproach when it comes to the finances that you trust us with. In fact, in the six years we've been a church, we have never had a year where we were in the red. Every single year we were in the black. Even the first year of our church when $80,000 was our annual income for the church, we still were operating the black. It's just a praise report about what God has done last month because of your generosity. We actually pulled in $80,000 in generosity last month. And one month we pulled in the same amount as we did in the first year of our church. Praise the Lord. That's what God is doing. And I tell you that to, to tell you this, is that 
transparency increases the trust. We want you to be able to trust us that we are stewarding these resources wisely. And so on your way out, there is actually a 2022 financial review available to you. You can go get this financial review. You can see where the money went, how much came out, how much went back out, and you can see where the budget breakdown is. And so that's our gift to you. That's what we do together as a church. Now, my question for you is, what will you do? If leaders go first, then we have to follow. So what is your part to play in all of this? He talks about honoring God. What I want you to understand is that I hope that you would follow in our footsteps because when you honor God, God in return honors you. As you honor God, God will honor you. Here's what the book of Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. What is that? That is generosity and stewardship going together. Honor God with your wealth and honor God with your giving. Generosity, stewardship. And when you get both of these moving forward in the same direction, what happens? God will then begin to bless you. He will open up the treasures of heaven. Barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with new wine. The wisest, wealthiest man who has ever lived in the world, he would say that generosity and stewardship move you into the blessings of God because when you honor God, God in return will honor you. God is honored by good stewardship. And every single one of us one day will stand before God and be held accountable for how we manage his resources in the limited time that we are here on earth. And those who are good stewards will receive treasures in heaven. And those who were poor stewards, then they will not be able to receive the amount of the the blessings that God had not only in this life, but also in the life that is to come. If we are poor stewards, we will not experience the blessings and honor that God has for us. But when you honor God, God honors you. And when you dishonor God, God cannot. Listen, he wants to, but he cannot because you are prevented him to do it. Let me give you an illustration to, to help you understand. Let's say Trevor, our ministry director, he runs an errand for me at work. So every Tuesday night at seven o'clock, we do big group. If you're not a small group, come join me Tuesday night for big group. We buy dinner for everybody who's there. Typically it costs us about $200. And so let's say I'm too busy sermon prepping. I don't have time to run to HEB to buy all the food. So I send Trevor. I say, Trevor, here's $200 go pick up some food for us. And he comes back and he's got a full tank of gas. He's got a pair of new sunglasses. He's playing some Pokemon game on his Switch. And then he's got a corn dog in one hand and and a piece of pizza on another. And I'm like, Trevor, where's the food? He's like, oh man, after I spent all the money on this awesome corn dog, I don't have any money left over. Sorry, boss. You You know what I'm gonna do? You know what I'm gonna do? Because he was a poor steward, he dishonored me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fire him. <laughs> So Trevor's now at the unemployment after third service and I try to find somebody to replace it. So I get Amaris. I say, Amaris, come on, I need some help. Would you go? And Amaris goes to H-E-B and she comes back. And she said, here you go, boss. Here's enough food for, for all the people. And I saved you some money. Here's $40. And you know what I do for Amaris? Because she honored me, I give her Trevor's salary. <laughs> But she was a good steward. So what happens is this, she gets a promotion. She gets more resources. She gets more opportunities. She gets greater income. Listen, as you learn to steward your money wisely, God will begin to bless you with more opportunities because he's looking to see who is gonna get the greatest return on my investment. Who's gonna honor me with their wealth so I can honor him with my resources. This is the way a steward thinks. Everything I own is on loan and therefore I'm gonna be wise with what God has trusted me with. 
It's generosity and stewardship working together. It requires accountability. Here's what Luke 16.10 says. One who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. You say, but I don't make enough money. Nope, you do. You just need to learn to be faithful of what you have. And as you're faithful with a little, God will in return bless you with a little bit more and a little bit more. But the one who is dishonest with little, like Trevor, (laughs) will also be dishonest in much. Guys, I just wanna say, if you're in your early 20s in college, you are single or maybe a newlywed right now, if you get this now, it will be life-changing for you in your future. If you understand this when you get a little, and God's gonna continue to increase with more, if you grasp this now, it will be life-changing for you. Kingdom economics and biblical stewardship principles that God honors those who honor them. Which leads to the fifth or the fourth final point is stewardship enables generosity. He says this, so give proof before the churches. I love that Paul says that. I wish I could say it, but I would be manipulative if I said that. If I said, hey, your generosity is proof before the rest of the church about your love. People would be like, I'm starting a podcast about how spiritually abusive that pastor is. (laughs) So I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna read the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. Give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting for you. What does he say? Stewardship and generosity is proof not only of your love for God, but also of your love for others. Listen, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Giving is the byproduct of loving. If I said, I love my kids, but I never gave to them, would I actually be one who loved my kids? If you say, I love my Lord, but I don't give, and I love my church, but I don't give, is that indication of proof of your love or not? Giving is the proof of loving. Here's what he says. That as you begin to learn to steward your finances, you're gonna see there will be an increase in your finances as well. If you would like to get a raise at your job, you start by giving yourself a raise at home. By stewarding your finances with wisdom and honor, by putting God first in everything, as you do, you will learn that God is going to bless and to increase the potential for your generosity as well. Listen, what do we do whenever we come upon a raise or we make a little extra money or we set some money aside? Is it so that way God blesses us so we might bless ourselves or is it that God blesses us so that way we might be a blessing towards others? We are, not to be, we are not to be reservoirs of God's grace. We are supposed to be rivers of God's grace. We are not containers of God's grace. We are conduits of the grace of God in our lives and in the lives around us. Listen to me. God does not raise your standard of living. God wants to raise your standard of giving. It's not about raising your standard of living. See, people think if I had more money, no, my friends, more money fuels more temptations that you just spend the money. You ever notice that increase of living and comes along with income? See, the great philosopher Biggie Smalls, he said it like this, more money, more problems, right? (laughs) So if I just had a little bit more, there will never be enough if your heart is not content in what God has given to you. God does not raise your standard of living, but rather he raises your standard of giving. As a steward, we understand that we are blessed to be a blessing. God has been generous to us, therefore we are generous to one another. God's grace flows to us, therefore God's grace flows through us. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It is a joy, it is a privilege, and it is a proof of our love before the Lord and the churches about how gracious and good God is. It is an evidence of our faith when we learn to give. God does not desire to raise your standard of living to bless you, but to bless you by raising your standard of giving towards others. Let me show you a a testimony of a woman in our church that I think perfectly encapsulates this idea. Chuck Ellis, 
Hi Redemption, it's Mary D. Ellis here. Um, some of you know that uh, Pastor Byron is our grandson, firstborn grandson. And so we had been following him through the years and th following his journey. Um, we were uh, in, involved in a, a local church there in Orange, leaders, we were leaders, we were uh, in different various ministries. So as we got closer, as Pastor got closer to launching Redemption for the first time, we knew we had to make a decision. We believed in the mission and we believed in the vision of redemption and we believed in uh, what Pastor Byron and Ashley, uh, their vision to, to plant downtown. And so we went in, we had a talk with our pastor uh, and told him that we would be leaving the church uh, to go with our grandson. He blessed us and released us and we came and submitted under Pastor uh, Byron as a pastor, even though we were grandparents and we worked alongside of the young people that God sent us. And um, that's sort of where we started. We've been here since the, really the conception. I think it's like a, a legacy that where we actually seen our grandson pick up a mantle and go forward. As we started off with the young, now we have every man, woman, and child. And how many people in their lifetime really have the opportunity to be something, uh, part of something that is bigger than them. Something, a church plant, bigger than they are. Um, so I feel like God has blessed us to be able to leave a legacy and to be with the generations. Um, there was a time where we've seen God get, um, just bless us. As far as I took and said, I, I can't remember a time when we didn't tithe. I do remember times when things were really, really tight because he was working construction and things would really get tight. And I would say, Lord, we don't have, we're tithing, but we don't have enough to pay the bills. We don't have enough to do the extras. And we were raising a second generation and even sometimes a third generation. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, well, what do you need? And I write it down. And I wrote it down. And then he said, no, what do you want? And I wrote it down. And he said, I want you to begin to tithe over what you want. And so I did. Didn't make any sense to me because we were already stretched. We began to tithe over what I wanted. And within a year's time, we both were promoted on our jobs and we had a salary income that was matching what I had written that we, we wanted, not just what we needed, but what we wanted. And so yes, time and time again, I've seen God miraculously meet the need. Multiplies about taking the resources or the talents. I like to use the word talents because of what Jesus said. As you're taking the talents that you have, and I may not have much, but when I bring what I have and I put it with the, what other people are bringing, it increases. It's an increase in the kingdom. It's an increase, uh, and you get to see more people come to the Lord. You get to see uh, with Multiply, um, as we continue the church and raise it up, more youth coming to the Lord. And um, so it's part of that revival. It's part of, um, as he said, increase an increase, using your talents for the kingdom. Let's go. Isn't that such an inspiring story? I want to say a special shout out to our video team for putting the most embarrassing photo of me ever in that video. Transparency increases trust, amen? I'll be transparent. I used to and still am kind of awkward and strange. If you would 
Open your guidebook to the end of it at page 37. Our commitment, advanced commitment worship night is this coming up Friday and many of you are gonna be ready to make that commitment. And others of you, you're still praying about what it looks like for you to be a part of what God is doing here at Redemption through Multiply. And I wanna explain to you a couple of different ways in which we can honor God through our generosity and our stewardship during these next couple of years. You'll see that there's five different types of givers according to this scenario. And every single one of us is gonna fall in some area here. And some of us, we're gonna start off in this area. It's, it's called the initial giver. It'll be your first time to maybe ever give to a church. Maybe you're new to redemption and last year you gave nothing because you weren't here, but now you're new and you're ready to jump in. So your commitment is, is an initial gift of what God leads you to. So let's say last year, you might've given sporadically, maybe $50 here or there, or maybe your entire uh, giving statement was nothing but merch orders. And so you gave a hundred bucks and it was all just buying four t-shirts. But you're like, by God's grace, I believe that I am gonna become an initial giver. I'm gonna start giving and you're gonna make a pledge for a thousand dollars. That's a lot of faith for you to go from nothing to $1,000. We celebrate that in your life. Maybe that's where your multiply begins as this initial giver. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you've been sporadic, but you've never been consistent in your giving. And so you, you, you say, okay, by God's grace this year, I am gonna budget for my generosity and I'm gonna put God first and I'm gonna set up my online reoccurring giving. And I'm gonna commit $100. Well, you know what? $100 is $5,200 over the course of one year, which is $10,400 over two years. You think I could never give 10,000. You can if you become a consistent giver and plan and budget what your giving is. And some people, that's gonna be the leap you're gonna make. Some of you, you've already been doing that, but you feel, the, you feel the, the joy rising in your heart. You see the vision that God is bringing to the house. You, you have the trust and the transparency. And so now you're, you're ready to move into that percentage giver, that, that thing we talk about, the tithe. You're, you're gonna commit 10% over two years. You're gonna rise up to that, to that level, that biblical value of tithing over two years. Say it's scary, but it requires faith. And you're gonna move into this, place as well. And some of you, that's where I would encourage you to be at. There's blessings that come when you're here. Yeah, it's a little high up, but you know what? God is good and he is faithful and he will bless those who honor him with their wealth. Some of you, you've been tithing for a while and you know what? You've never considered what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians about going above and beyond and giving beyond your means. Yeah, you've given yourself first to the Lord, but what does it mean for you to give yourselves by the grace of God to the church? that above and beyond giving. You've been tithing. Maybe a tithe for you doesn't, doesn't even seem sacrificial. It's easy for you because you've been doing it for a while. Is that cheerful to, to give? Are you still having the joy of generosity? Maybe God is leading you to become a progressive giver. What is that? It's like the young woman I met over coffee just this week who said, God's led her to give 30% of her income to the church. She said, I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm praying that God is gonna increase my second business so that way I can not only tithe out of my first job, but I can tithe out of my second income. And she's gonna take that step of faith. It could be like the family who they told me that God told them to tithe off of $200,000, even though they only make 80. It could be like Didi who God said, tithe off of what you want to make. And then God was able to meet that need 
And that's the, that's, the, that's the progressive giver. And then there's others who they're like Didi at the end of her life where she's wondering, what is her legacy? That giving is not only what she gives, but giving is also what she leaves behind. It's about that legacy. It's about that next generation. It's about not only above and beyond, but giving beyond her even lifetime. There was one family that I talked to, they said, Pastor, we've decided that we were going to write Redemption Church into our will. And so we're going to be tithing 10% of our estate to the church once we die. But there is a prayer. Will you pray that we do not die before we get to see the new building? (laughs) (laughs) But what is that? That is a legacy giver. That is someone not only thinking about what they are going to give, but also something that they're going to leave behind that's going to leave a legacy with their life. What do you want to leave behind? Because you know what, friends? You can't take it with you. Only that which is given to God will last for all of eternity. I'm reminded of of a quote from a Puritan preacher. He said, only one life soon will be passed. Only that which is given to Christ is that which will last. My last line that I'm gonna encourage you with as you go home and you pray this week before our advanced commitment worship night next week is this. Biblical faithfulness is the key to financial success. God doesn't care if you are rich or poor. What he does care is that you're wise because it belongs to him and ultimately one day it will all be returned to him. Biblical faithfulness is the key to financial success. We all hear this saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You know that one? That's what we long to hear the Lord Jesus say on the day of his return, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know the context of that verse is this, that there was three people that Jesus trusted talents with. A talent is wealth. One person he gave five, one person he gave two, one person he gave one. To the ones who steward the talents wisely, they were able to enter into the joy and they heard the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. To the one who managed it poorly, God took it away from them and gave it to the others. And they were not able to enter in to the joy of their master. You wanna hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, be a good and faithful steward.